Own your effing abundance. Own it. Know where it is. Know exactly how to get yourself back from the scarcity because we all are going to fall into it. We're humans from time to time. But it's our job to know how to get ourselves out of it. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What's up, what's up, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast, the Pay It Forward community, showing you how to live a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness. I trust you are living your life of abundance to the best of your ability and living your life on purpose. It is more important today to have an abundance mindset with this global pandemic that's going on right now, and I'm not going to get into the whole thought process behind the whole thing. The thing is, is this is real as far as the reality of places getting closed down, bars, restaurants, businesses, travel, countries, states, a lot of places are getting closed down. This is not the time or place for me to express my opinion on any of this. I just want to express to you that it is real. People are really scared with their jobs, with being laid off, with being furloughed. And those who are still going to work and their kids are home alone or they got to put them in daycare and they're concerned about where their next meal is going to come from, their breakfast, lunch, uh, formula, because some many places are out of formula and diapers and baby wipes. It's just unbelievable, but it's real. So take that into consideration when you're out and about and you're talking to people and when you're here listening to Men of Abundance maintain the abundance mindset. When there's things on the shelves that you don't normally have access to, then look for other things. Look for other stuff that you can enlighten and enrich your life with and try some new foods. Try some new um, recipes. Try. There was a lady, I was at a dollar store looking for toilet paper myself, and this lady was looking for baby wipes. That particular dollar store was not dealing with anything with chemicals So the manager of the dollar store gave her a recipe so that she could get some paper towels, which they did have in stock. And then she was explaining how to mix up some lotions and some other stuff to soak the paper towels in to make homemade baby wipes. It was absolutely brilliant. And I loved seeing it because while they didn't have what the lady was looking for that she needed for her baby, the manager was willing to take the time to share with her what she can do in the meantime. And then, of course, that day I had been at a couple other stores just down the street where I did see baby wipes. So I told the lady what store to go to, and hopefully she was able to get there and get those baby wipes. And just having this conversation about toilet paper not on the shelves and creating baby wipes and homemade baby wipes and and telling somebody how to get some seems so trivial. But it's times like this when we realize just how blessed we truly are and how much stuff we have in our lives that, quite frankly, we just don't need. And then some of the things that we take for granted, like toilet paper and baby wipes, for goodness sake. So listen, above all, be kind to each other. Be considerate about what other people are going through, whether it's directly affecting you or not, and develop and maintain an abundance mindset. The scarcity mindset helps nobody. The abundance mindset helps everyone. And listen, with all the news and everything crazy on Facebook, these conversations are a breath of fresh air. Breathe a breath of fresh air into somebody else virtually, not physically, by sharing men of abundance with everyone else. Be abundant in your actions today. Pay it forward. Share men of abundance with others. And you just might affect and change somebody's life. Or at the very least, lift up their mood and their spirits for a couple hours maybe even a day. Now, our featured guest today is Joe Williams. He's an internationally known speaker, strategic expert, and consultant who has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people around the world. For 15 years, Joe was head trainer and lead speaker for best-selling author and peak performance coach Tony Robbins. Joe's work has led him to consult with companies in a diverse number of fields, 
helping his clients create over $50 billion in new business and helping literally thousands of people with all levels of experience or no experience at all find their voice, refine their skills, master their message, and make an impact in the world. Men of Abundance, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Joe Williams. Joe, welcome to Men of Abundance, brother. How are you doing? I am great, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate that. Oh, man, I absolutely love it. I, I you know, when uh, I checked out your bio, Courtney sent me over your information and said, hey, would you consider this guest? And she usually does a pretty good job of sending me people that I would absolutely love to connect with because she's been sending me folks for a while. And I just dig what you got going on, brother. So I had to have this conversation and share you with Men of Abundance. Thank you so much. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. And I, you know, I think uh, you also did a show with a uh, client of mine, uh, Nate Bailey. So oh, we had that in common as well. Absolutely, Nate is awesome, man. He is. He yeah. is. He's a great guy. Yeah, excellent. We'll talk more. Maybe we'll get into that in the conversation at some point. Sure. I'd like to throw a shout out for Nate for sure. Definitely. So you know, I like to start out with an attitude of gratitude, man. What do you have to be grateful for today? Well, you know, first and foremost, my health, the health of my family, my wife, uh, two kids, uh, you know, just thankful that we are alive, that we're vital and that we, you know, we can come out of the chute kicking one more day here. And I think that's usually kind of a good gratitude point to start from, at least it's where I try to start from. I haven't always had that in my life, so I guess that's uh, why it's so personal to me. (laughs) <laughs> I'm chuckling a little bit because I'm just thinking about this morning. I posted the first thing on Facebook, which I don't normally get on. I just felt compelled. Have you ever seen the movie called The Crudes? It's a cartoon. Uh, you know, I think I saw that with They're my like kids. They're like cavemen or something like yeah. that. And they always wake up and go, still alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 so true. So true. Hey, as long as we got that, you know, we're kicking and we can get out there and we can we can make a difference in the world. That's what I think yeah. is important. 100%. Totally agree. Where are you at in the world? In Denver. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love it here. I have not had the pleasure of actually going to Colorado at all. I've got a lot of friends there and I just hear some amazing things about it. So at some point I definitely have to get up there. Yeah, yeah. I was in Boulder for 25 years. That's where I moved from when I moved from Virginia in the early 90s. Uh, and Boulder just kind of became too Boulder-ish. <laughs> and so I escaped that, uh, we call it, we used to call it the 20, 20 miles of uh, uh, fantasy surrounded by reality. And uh, it became mm. a little too much that way. So I, and plus I'm closer to the airport and all that good stuff. So Excellent. Yeah, sounds really good. That actually kind of, I've never heard it explained that way, but it kind of describes Hawaii too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, several cities. You know, yeah. uh, Ashland, Oregon can be that way. Austin mm-hmm. was that way for a long time. You know, that would Austin and Boulder were kind of twin cities for a long time. Yeah. And uh, Austin outgrew us. Boulder's kind of set in how far it can grow because it's right up against the mountains, and it's just getting more and more crowded. But it's a great town. Right now, I have been to Austin, and just knowing what I do know about Colorado in general is. The view's got to be much more beautiful than Austin. Austin is a just right smack dab in the middle of reality. Yeah, but it is yeah. beautiful. A lot of music, a lot of food. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting and looking right now at Long's Peak, which is fourteen thousand four hundred and something. I think I, mm-hmm. I don't think I got that right. Fourteen and change. Uh, I've climbed it a bunch of times back in my old adventure racing days and stuff like that. I used to spend a lot of time up there. But uh, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful, wonderful, great. Uh, thanks for painting that picture for us. Sure. So, you know, before we got started here, I read through your bio, and that's basically what you do, your professional stuff, which is very impressive to say the least. But here at Men of Abundance, we like to get to know the man behind the abundance. So if you would, how would you describe yourself? Oh, my gosh, that's a great question. I, uh, I've i been thinking about that uh, a bit in preparation for this. You know, I'd like to think that I am a couple of things. Number one, I'd like to think that I'm somebody who fights for the absolute best uh, in people and in the world uh, in my own way, my own way that I'm kind of uniquely capable of doing that. Because, you know, anybody can say those words, right? I think the real question is, um, do you know yourself and do you own yourself at your core well enough to know what your particular you know, space of the world to go fight that good fight in is rather than just taking on uh, anything and everything that comes your way. So that's part of it. I like to think that I'm incredibly resourceful and creative. If there's anything about myself, I'm probably 
most proud of, aside from, you know, the things with my family and my beautiful wife and my incredible kids and all that good stuff, it's, um, I am a one resourceful little mother, mother. I mean, I, I have had my back against the wall so many times in life and I always figure out a way out because, you know, I'm committed to finding the way no matter what. And I think that creativity, that, uh, discipline, that persistence, that everything that comes with raw resourcefulness is one of the things um, that I'm really most most proud of myself as, as a man. Those are great qualities to have. Now, do you feel that you had those qualities growing up as a young man, or were those things that you learned learned more about and developed over the years? Well, yes, that's a good question. Uh, you know, this part of my background you don't necessarily know about me, but I think this is where it springs from. Uh, when I was young, uh, in my early teens, my parents were actually both ministers, uh, and they were, shall we say, not very good at paying their taxes because they had been, they'd been both have a degree in theology, been ministers all their life. And so when I was 15 years old, they both were incarcerated the first time for tax evasion. And so my sister and I were pretty much left out on our own. In fact, I didn't even finish high school, uh, because I needed to take on a job to figure out how to feed she and I and keep some sort of roof over our head, even though we were sleeping in our car and on friends' couches and things like that. That's really where that grit came from to start with, uh, for sure. And it's, you know, I got it in my mid-teens and I've, 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 I've cherished it and tried to hold on to it and try to keep it on the edge and on the forefront of what I do ever since. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. I kind of reflecting on some of that, not that particular story, but similar in the background is me growing up as me and my brother basically having to take care of ourselves just because of the situation that we were in at that time. And some of the folks have heard my story, but we're here to hear yours. Now, one thing I'm really kind of curious about, because I just recently had this conversation with somebody in reference to um, churches and should they pay taxes, should they not pay taxes. I don't want to get into that debate. But yeah. the fact of the matter is, is um, a lot of churches don't pay their bills. And is this something, but I've never heard it to the point that the pastor or anybody in the congregation or whatever ever got incarcerated for it. Well, okay, so this was a different time. Let's let's say that first and foremost. This was this was they started their investigation, the IRS did into my parents in nineteen eighty. They my parents had both uh, hit a point by the mid seventies. This was during the Carter administration. Those of us that are old enough to remember, uh, you know, if you made over a hundred thousand dollars a year, you paid 70 cents on the dollar in, in federal and state taxes. My folks having both come out of the, um, you know, out of the church, uh, had never paid taxes and kind of figured, well, what we need is some homegrown, uh, good done in communities rather than sending our money off to some faceless, you know, entity uh, called the Internal Revenue Service. So they started preaching a gospel, if you will, of, hey, become a minister, become a church yourself. Uh, in fact, they helped charter quite a few churches. That's ultimately what got them in trouble. But the, the, the gospel was start something yourself, take the money you would have sent off uh, in your taxes by taking a vow of poverty, becoming a nonprofit, and spend it in your local community. You know, bring church back into the home rather than in the institution that it was. And let's just say that in, you know, 1979, 1980, uh, political climate was not necessarily real in favor of that. <laughs> and so um, during a five year long investigation, if you I guess you're doing the math on that, 1985, 86, when they went to prison, um, you know, there were laws written to actually prosecute them on that have since been taken off the books. So it was a different time. Uh, and I think a lot of life is is either right time, right place, or wrong time, wrong place. In some cases, um, it's one of the biggest factors that we all got to you know know that we are powerless over. Those of us, especially that like to think we're powerful over everything, men I'm talking about in particular, uh, sometimes need to be reminded there's this right place, right time, or wrong place, wrong time that uh, you can't always control, and that's where your mental you know your mental strength comes into play. So that was the long story short of what happened to them. It was a weird time. Uh, it's not quite done the same way anymore, but yeah, that was the backstory on that. Okay, yeah, thanks for clearing that up. That was sure. that's very interesting to me. Uh, and it, and I've, it's not the first time that I've heard that uh, laws had changed. And I know quite a few people that were in business of some sort that were perfectly legal to do business the way they were doing business and then a law right. had changed and right. oh by the way now you're a, now you're a um, you know you were already a former convict and yep. now this particular um, industry let's say mortgage yes. brokers for instance yep. you can't in Texas for instance you can't I, be a mortgage broker if you're a former felon I, 
I know exactly who you're talking about uh, <laughs> in that example. And yes, that's a very similar case. Very yes. similar case. Yeah. And then you know the whole gun laws and can you carry yep. you know the whole bit and it's just a it's just a messy situation. So if you're not paying attention to that, that's then right. You can become a victim of the system. That's exactly right. I think that's key. You just got to keep your, you know, you got to keep your wits about you and know what you're doing. If it's anywhere close to an edge or if it could be seen as anywhere close to an edge, then you need to take that into account and play the game accordingly. Because I'll tell you this, it's one thing I learned at 15 years old. Don't mess around with your taxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, They will come and they will still to this day, you know, take your stuff and and lock you up. And my parents did have a second run in and that kind of cemented that whole point of view in my uh, in my world. So that's the big takeaway for me. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thanks for that. Well, you know, that to me sounds like a sort of a kick in the gut moment for sure early on in your life, but I don't want to assume that that's the one that you want to share with us today because we do like to share this kick in the gut moment. We like to bring out of bring it out of our guests because, quite frankly, uh, anybody who's doing anything or not is going to have a kick in the gut moment, and what you do with that determines the rest of your life sometimes. So yeah. if you would share with us a kick in the gut moment and uh, really make us feel that. You know, I again, I was thinking about this as well in preparation. There really were two, and I'm going to make them very short and, and time together. The first one was uh, when I was in my early 20s, um, I got fortunate enough to make an investment with some partners, and we opened up a small long-distance reseller together. And in 96, when I was 26 years old, we took it public. And immediately I realized that I was not cut out to run a public corporation. I'm not the type to sit in a cubicle 12, 14 hours a day or an office and run from meeting to meeting. That is not my nature. I didn't really know at that point what my nature was, truthfully. And um, and so the getting out of that business in a way that was as clean as it could be, but frankly, pretty messy uh, in the grand scheme of things of shutting everything down and stuff like that. And Having this business that I'd always thought was going to be the last thing I ever built, realizing instead sometimes you got to walk away from a bad business model. And if you you know you do the math on this, 1996 is right when we were on the edge of beginning to look at you know our our long distance service. That's what we were selling at the time. You know it was going to become all encapsulated like it is now. One bill. You weren't going to pay extra for long distance nationwide. It was all going to be done over the internet. We saw that coming. The the the, the industry changed. And I had to walk away. And that at the time was a huge kick in the gut because of my ego being very wrapped up with my net worth. You know, I have a good friend. He says my self-worth was wrapped up with my net worth. And so when the net worth went away, I didn't know what to do with my self-worth. That was really probably the first biggest one. Second biggest one, though, that I can say um, without going into a lot of detail was getting divorced uh, from my first wife. Uh, The thing that I thought I'd never do in a billion years, um, especially having two kids. Uh, that was that was definitely the biggest kick in the gut in my life, though, for sure. Yeah, I can definitely have heard that <laughs> that one multiple times. I have been fortunate to have never gone through that myself, um, but actually, I hear I've seen stories and I hear uh, quite a few stories from a friend of mine who's actually a divorce coach. He helps people get through that whole process, which is yeah, just a process. He's well, <laughs> he's got a know, crazy story. We were super lucky, to be fair to my ex-wife, we were super lucky in that we kind of looked at each other one day and looked around after 10 years of marriage and two kids and went, what the hell are we doing? Like, we're pretty good friends. We actually work pretty well together. We should not be in an intimate relationship. And it was so, it was really very clean in the grand scheme of things. Nothing like the messy divorces uh, that I hear about. It was more an identity challenge. Wally, you know, if you will. In other words, I had this identity for myself of, look, I'm a man who follows through 1,000. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out. I'm going to work things through. And then also to be faced at some point with, well, wait a minute, is that the actually best path for both of you ahead in life? I'm blessed enough to have gotten remarried to the absolute soulmate woman of my dreams. I love her to death and spend every moment. We work together. We live together. Uh, my kids came out the other side on top. Phenomenal. And my ex-wife married a hell of a good man. I am so lucky in that the kid, my, my kids who they call, uh, uh, stepdad is one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life. So it's all for the best at the end of the day, but it doesn't take away from being a kick, man. Yeah. Wonderful. And again, seriously, thanks for sharing that because that is super important. Um, I see so many families stay together for the sake of the kids and it's yeah. just, my mom it's did not, it for many, many years and finally left my dad and it was the not, best thing that she could have ever done. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I jumped into in. that. Yep. Go wonderful. ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. It didn't turn into that wonderful story, but, um, uh, my dad despised, you know, and had a, you know, to his, to his death, but 
you know, again, it was a bit, my mom just came out of her shell. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to jump in on you. It's just no, obviously cool. something I'm, something I'm passionate about because yeah. of the role model that it set for my kids and the mm. incredible young man, my son's become the unbelievable young lady. My, my daughter has become, and a lot of that is because they've seen them. They've seen a model coming out of divorce of two parents who then went on to find the right person for a lifetime and be blissfully happy as opposed to just having stayed together for them. I think there's a lot of bad mistakes that get made in the name of that. I certainly made it for years and years leading up to our actual divorce. Um, we'd not been happy for five or six years. And, you know, that was going to, I'm just glad that it didn't play out longer for the kids. Um, it's a tough thing to have them watch you go through. Yet on the other side, if you stay the role model you're meant to be and you're committed to being, you kind of comes back to the resourcefulness conversation, you'll find a way. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So how did all that transition into what you're doing today? Because, yep. um, you know, you've been personally trained and been on, you know, working with some amazing people uh, in business and in life. And of course, hanging out with Tony Robbins and getting all that great training, which I absolutely love. Um, been a huge fan of, of Tony and all of his work for many, many years since, it, since I first discovered him in a library in Germany on cassette. <laughs> <laughs> and, and funny enough, I was in a thrift store a couple of days, uh, a couple of days ago, several months back and found a whole set of, uh, cassettes of Tony Robbins and some video. <laughs> Anyhow, how did you get into what you're doing now? So I first got introduced to Tony really through, again, right place, right time, through a weird twist of events. Uh, I had gone to one of his seminars. I did not, did not like him. He knows this. I'm not speaking out of school on this. He loves this story. Uh, when I went to my first event, it was just simply to do a firewalk. I figured that'd be a good bar trick. I'm in my early 20s by that point. I'd had some success in sales, um, and I was starting to get make some money for the first time in my life, as most people would guess, at 20 years old. And um, and so I met him, and I went back and I volunteered at seminars. And very early on, his wife at the time asked me to kind of watch out for him and make sure he got place to place. And late one night, he and I got locked together in a stairwell while I was walking him back to his room as his so-called security guard. You know, I was 20 years old. I probably weighed 145 pounds, you know, soaking wet. How I was going to be his security guard, I have no idea. But he <laughs> turned to me and he goes, so tell me about Joe. And we spent about an hour talking out of that, became fast friends, uh, started vacationing together. He actually gave my, my first wife away at our wedding. And so in 98, when I got out of the uh, uh, long distance business, uh, he grabbed me and he goes, hey, buddy, I know you're looking for something to do with your life now. Uh, I want you to come in and help me start three divisions of my company. And so in addition to getting my own speaking career at that point, just up and starting to kick a little bit. That's what I decided I wanted to do, right, wrong, or indifferent. I was a horrible speaker. I actually didn't enjoy it that much, but I kind of figured, well, I can probably make some money if I do this. And so then I had the, the gig with Tony for six months, and um, we were good friends by that point. That was the first time we'd worked together. A year after that, he asked me to start leading the Wealth Mastery Seminar with him, uh, or with an, another guy, I should say, uh, taking it over from him. And um, we did that. I led that event 2001 through 2013 and all its incarnations and everything. And I became his head trainer in 2004. I was head trainer for Tony from 2004 to 2014, uh, responsible for training all the trainers and senior leaders and all that good stuff, leading Leadership Academy, speaking at Date with Destiny with Tony and UPW a few times and uh, to his platinum partners. And that was kind of the story of, of, of that. It was really, really, really an incredible, incredible opportunity. And it was also, I'm very clear, uh, I was handed a lot of amazing opportunities. I ran with them in fairness to myself. It wasn't all luck. I put in the hard work. I put in the gut-wrenching hours, you know, that it takes in that world to get better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yet there was also a, you know, there was a right time, right place thing at play. And so I, I think when opportunities come up, Either, you know, people give a lot of lip service to seizing them. Uh, I tend to jump on stuff with both freaking feet and throw myself in a thousand percent. It's probably uh, something that is that would be diagnosed as a character flaw. But, hey, you know, it's worked pretty well for me up until now. Kind of like d dyslexia has worked pretty well for me. I never knew I had dyslexia until I was in my teens. And uh, then I had to deal with it growing up and stuff. And I just kind of figured, screw it. It's a real uncreative person that can't spell a word three or four different ways. Oh, brother, you and me both, man. <laughs> I, there's so many words that I still struggle with. And all of my boys are exactly the same. And it drives my wife 
nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. just deal with it. I yeah. mean, my yeah. goodness, we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, <laughs> there, there are other things we could be more concerned with. With you know, should the E come before the A or whatever it might be? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, there's real shit going on in the world on so often. I'm like, <laughs> me too, me know, too. Still, Lord. but People I, I content, oh, you know, all the grammar police out there are content. You know, you got these words. Um, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, you know, that is just an amazing story. And I love how, um, you know, I've heard this before because I was at UPW last November in um, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And Tony had a guy there who basically, same story as you. Uh, they, this guy wasn't supposed to talk to Tony. He's supposed to be on stage, grab this, grab that. Don't even look at him. <laughs> and one day Tony approached him and he's like, I'm not supposed to talk to you. And, uh, now he ends up being one of his top trainers and stuff and out there speaking with him at UPW. And I love that. I love how Tony has, has done stuff like that. It just rubs off on people. Uh, yeah. it's just a wonderful thing. And, you know, to be able to take that knowledge and go forward and pay it forward to others. How are you doing that today? How are you paying it forward with all of this? You know, and I truly believe it, it's, it's not luck. Uh, first off, for those of you who have never been to a Tony Robbins event, and I'm, this isn't about Tony. I just want to paint a picture here for you of what Joe put himself through because these volunteers and I've considered volunteering at, at these uh, events as well. Tony's coming out here in, in Miami here, I think in a month or so. And these volunteers put in hours and hours and hours and they're on their feet all day long and they get, tr but they get training and they get fed. But then they, you know, they, some of these folks are at every single event that they can possibly go to. And, they put in the time they put in, they, they connect and all this stuff. So it's not easy work. It's one, first you got to get there cause they're in probably not the state that you live in in many cases. And you know, I don't know about the hotel accommodations and all this kind of stuff, but you at least got to pay to get there and do the work and connect. And it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, you know, I, I put in my volunteer time in the nineties uh, with him. It was even, more kind of uh, pay your way back in, in those days. Luckily, I, uh, you know, I, I was able to, I was able to do that at the time. Um, uh, again, one of the, I guess the blessings of right time, right place. Uh, but you know, then you're right when the, when the nature of the relationship shifted over to where I was being paid, uh, to be on stage for him, frankly, that's when I really kicked into gear as far as, you know, time invested into every single day of event that I, I did with him. And it's one of the reasons I think that it worked, uh, during the years that I was there. Wonderful. Wonderful. So how are you paying it forward these days? What are you doing? Well, so a couple of things, um, uh, you know, the nature of the work that Allison and I do now, I guess in its own way is, is an extension of, of paying it forward, even though that is, you know, it's what we do for our, uh, our business in helping people that feel like they've had a calling to share their story, share their message, share their wisdom, uh, but they just don't have any idea like where to get started and how to, how to do that in a way uh, where they do it, A, well, sharing of the message, sharing of the story, but also B, uh, create a business that could be scaled around it. And so um, a lot of the, you know, the, the, the headaches and hassles and hard work and everything I put in for 15 years on the road, not just with Tony, but in my own speaking career and my own coaching and mentoring career, um, now I try to take you know, all of those lessons and, and short circuit systems for people so they can accomplish it a heck of a lot more quickly than I did and others do who start out from scratch and, you know, save a lot of money in the process as well of just bad mistakes and bad choices, decisions uh, that people make when they decide to get into this type of business. So um, that's that's the primary way I like to pay it forward is is by making sure that it's easier for those who come after me than than it was for those of us that came before. For sure. And just to be clear, what specific type of businesses are you are you working with? Are these folks that are wanting to get into the speaking and yeah. teaching type of stuff like what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. It's what I call an impact business. I consider, you know, speaking, coaching, consulting, basically that amalgam now is is businesses that impact lives. And so whether it's uh, that you want to be a professional speaker or whether you want to be a, a higher ticket coach. Uh, or whether you want to stick with corporate consulting, it really all kind of springs from the same basic um, uh, uh, fountain, if you will. Uh, and so I call it an impact business, speaking, coaching, consulting, and we help people first get clear on what their message is, 
uh, in the world. Secondly, learn how to communicate that message powerfully when they present it or when they speak. And then thirdly, how do you scale it into a business? And that's that's everything that we do now. I've done a lot of different things in the past. That's where I'm, I'm fi- I found at home now because I kind of have done it all myself. You know, you can't hang around Tony Robbins for 20 years and you can't hang around the professional speaking marketplace for 20 years. You can't. I mean, I said one of the things Tony had me start with him in the very beginning was uh, one of his divisions of his company. It was now his coaching division. Uh, I did the initial work on that. So I know the industry. I know the business. I could save people hassles. I could save them headache. I can save them embarrassment of not knowing what their message is and trying to fumble their way like I did for years and years. And so, um, yeah, that's 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 what we do, man. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And I, I've heard that a couple of times. You're the third or fourth person that I've talked to that's one person removed from Tony. Um, one off the top of my head that I know for sure I stay in contact with is Dave Sanderson. Yeah, uh, who was Dave's the, uh, a good. Dave's yeah. a good, good friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, amazing individual. I had the pleasure of meeting him face to face at uh, PodFest, um, I think back in March. Uh, him And he, oh, my goodness, that guy's just amazing. We, I can go on and on talking about Dave. But um, for sure. I mean, and it just, like again, it just rubs off. So, yeah, I totally get that, man. I dig it. And, and thanks for doing what you're doing. And, you know, like you said, you're paying it forward, even though it's part of your business. And guys, listen to me, man. I'm t- I've told you this before. Paying it forward sometimes... People need to pay for the information and the, the mentorship and the coaching and the training. Otherwise, they don't take it seriously. I give away so much information and everybody I give information to for free, they do nothing with it. When they pay for it, they tend to succeed. Isn't that kind of weird? I, you know, I always say when people pay, they pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I do. I've done a lot, still do, for free as well myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always find you're exactly right. The best of the best, uh, don't hesitate to pay for their own personal mastery, period. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's your responsibility to ensure yeah. that they've got skin in the game. Otherwise they're just not going to take it seriously. Yep. It's just sad. Um, but true. <laughs> so yeah. Brother, we are at the point where we're going to pay it forward to our abundant leaders. Ready to do that? Yeah. Excellent. So share one to three actionable steps that men of abundance can take today. So, uh, here's what I would say. Number one, Um, if you're not keeping some dedicated place in your life, I don't even care if it's a small, uh, you know, Moleskina or field notes handbook next to you at all times. That is where you're writing down every asset, every relate business, uh, relationship, every possible person you might want to work with everything that you've got going for you in your life that you can build from and that you could use as an asset to move the needle moving forward in your world, then you're gonna slip into scarcity mindset. In other words, I think the number one key to having, at least for myself, to having an abundance mindset is keep an open, actionable book of places where this is all of the abundance I've got, the abundance of contacts, the abundance of, of resources, the abundance of options, the abundance of favors, the everything. You've gotta keep it someplace so that when you find yourself in those moments of, shall we say, not feeling the most abundant on the face of the earth, you know exactly where to go in your life and get yourself back on track mentally. And the best thing to have is have a list of those resources somewhere that you can get to at any given moment. And if, if you're smart, maybe even carry with you at all times. Could, by the way, could also be done in your phone or, you know, if that's the method you like to do it. I personally like good old fashioned analog paper and ink to keep track of all of the assets and abundance that I have in life so that if I ever get under the illusion of scarcity for a moment, I have someplace I can go and pop myself out. I'm not walking around looking for somebody else to put me back into my abundance mindset. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I love it. So I really own, love it. own your effing abundance. Own it. Mm-hmm. Know where it is. Know exactly how to get yourself back from the scarcity because we all are going to fall into it. We're humans yeah. from time to time. But it's our job to know how to get ourselves out of it. And, you know, the more simple, the better. That's number one. Um, I would say number two. Uh, and this is going to sound super cliche, but I would be remiss if I did not say this after all my years of leading wealth mastery, get rid of the debts, <laughs> uh, financial debts, energetic debts, psychological debts, you know, debts are not all just financial. And we talk a lot about being debt free financially, and that's a vital thing to do. I, here's what I believe. Anybody who tells you you don't have to be debt free has never been that themselves. That's what I found after all the thousands and thousands of millionaires I've 
you know, interviewed as part of that whole process and people I worked with who were massively successful was, you know, anybody who says, you, you know, there's power in, 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 in not power in being debt free has never been debt free themselves. It's also true emotional and psychological debt as well. Spiritual debt to a certain extent as well. You got to get clear and clean on all that stuff as much as you can. So you're unleashed to move forward without looking back. Because that's ultimately what debt causes you to do. It causes you to look back rather than forward for the most part. So A, keep a list of your assets and know where your abundance is. B, then go to work erasing the mistakes from the past. In other words, debts. <laughs> and then and then I would say, gosh, you know, I would say the final thing uh, is get really cozy, cozied up to... Um, to be to deciding what your vision for what your you want your life to stand for in your legacy to be uh, to be and 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 get after that even if it scares you um, that'd be the third thing start figuring out what is my legacy what's my vision for what I want to have people look back and say this is what he or she's life stood for and then get to work on it because. At some point in your life, you know, it hits all of us differently. 40, it hit me to a certain extent. I just turned 50, and I'll tell you, the alarms are blaring in a good way of, you know, what am I leaving behind? I ain't going to be here forever. I'm not 25 anymore. And so, uh, you know, as the man that I've become, what do I want people to say about me when I'm gone? What do I want to leave the world uh, as the imprint that I've made upon it? Um, and, 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 and then just get after that legacy. I would say that's a, I think that's a big part. A lot of us as men, if you want to be a man of abundance, um, I think you cannot dodge the legacy question with yourself. Uh, a lot of us have tried to do it at other points in our life, but when you get over about 40, 50 years old, you know, you got to start looking at what do I want this thing to, to leave behind for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that. And I would even go as far as saying, you know, you said, do it even even if it. I think you said even if it um, scares you. If it yeah. scares you. I'd say do it especially. Especially if it scares, if it scares you. Scares you. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no room to grow in a comfort zone, man. That's right. That's right. That's right. It just doesn't happen. So you you mentioned a few things. Journaling for one is what yeah. is kind of what I take out of the, your number one there. But what rituals make the biggest impact in your life? Oh, um, okay. Um, meditation. Uh, a first and foremost is one that I have. Uh, I was exposed to at a very young age. My parents uh, took my sister and I to a early, early meditation course. It was actually the Jose Silva mind control course about how to go into alpha states with your brain in the early '80s. I was 13. Um, I started a practice there of introspection and silence. Um, you know, it's been a constant in my life, uh, ever since. And when I say meditation, I also, um, I consider that a time of, of also just sacred connection with a higher power as well. Um, you know, some people call that prayer. Other people call it other things, uh, whatever that means for you. Um, you know, do it daily, do it daily and, 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 and let it be the, the guiding light, uh, for everything else, uh, to come together, uh, you know, move daily, <laughs> for lack of a better term. You know, I think especially in the, the world we live in today, it is becoming more and more and more of something that needs to be a conscious effort for people to just, you know, use their bodies and stay connected also into this, you know, vessel that accompanies us throughout our journey uh, here in, in this world. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, the, the attitude of gratitude, way we started this out, uh, that also is a good daily habit to constantly get into yeah absolutely what are you reading or listening to that you'd recommend to our abundant leaders and why that is a great question so um i'll tell you one constant that 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 is also daily ritual wise uh right now uh that i am doing is um oh i've got to think of his name uh uh, uh ryan um oh gosh uh the obstacle is the way holiday uh, yeah, Ryan Holiday. Thank mm-hmm. you, thank you. All I could think of was another Ryan that it sounds like you and I know. Um, uh, yeah, Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic uh, book, which is just a quick three to five minute read and practice every single day, um, based upon Stoic philosophy. Marcus Aurelius, uh, Epictetus, um, uh, and just really becoming uh, someone who is invincible in the face of any adversity or 
uh, any fleeting success. Um, that sort of uh, uh, daily thing has, has been important to me for a long time. I did it for years with A Course in Miracles years and years and years ago that my friend Keith Cunningham introduced me to. Uh, and then for right now, it is Ryan's uh, current book. Um, gosh, I am always, always reading. I'll, I will say the other one right now that I'm really loving, literally uh, just finished it, is the book Digital Minimalism uh, by mm -hmm. Cal Newport. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, if people aren't familiar with it, it's, you know, we live in an age where realistically we're not going to be able to throw our technology and our phones away and go back to flip phones and all that stuff. Some of us wish we could at some point. So the question becomes, how do we balance this first experiment into human cyborg connection? Cause that's really what our phones are. If you think about it, we will look back on this time and say, okay, that was the, that was the point that, you know, being attached or having a, uh, uh, a computer in you, meaning in your hand at this point, uh, that was where we first started experimenting with that. And I think that's the way we all need to look at technology and our relationship to it right now is this is all an experiment, guys and gals. Um, and so you need to treat it and I need to treat it in our lives that way. Uh, phenomenal book. Phenomenal book. Yeah, that is a great book. It definitely it'll definitely open your eyes to a lot of things, and he's got a good challenge in there too. Yeah, um, a couple of them, but one in particular I can think of. So, what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Gosh, what holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? Um, you know, uh, here's what I will say: it is right now. Now, I'm guessing my answer would change through time, but I'll tell you what it is right now for me. Um, it is that they're waiting for their pants and you're probably not familiar with what I mean by that. Let me tell you, I have a good friend. We actually, uh, our fathers were friends growing up, um, uh, named Roland Frazier, who's one of the owners of digital marketer with, uh, Ryan Dice. Uh, Roland has been told me a story one time about that. He had a, a young man who was a friend, uh, or the son of a friend of his. And this, this, he's a, you know, in his early twenties right now, he's never really had to work for much in his life. He's out of college. And so he went to Roland and said, Mr. Frazier, if you gave me, if you were to give somebody a young person advice on how to start and where to go in this world that we live in today, I mean, I've got so much student debt and I've got this and I've got that. What should I do? And Roland started talking to him and said, um, you know, you're enthusiastic, you're outgoing, you like cars, go get a job selling cars, start there. And he said, okay, I will. And the, he said, promise me in the next week, you're going to go out and apply to 10 different dealerships. And the guy, kid goes, great. I will. I will. Well, about two weeks later, Roland checked back in with the kid and said, how's it going? And the kid said, well, I'm waiting for my pants. And Roland said, what do you mean you're waiting for your pants? And he goes, well, everybody knows you can't, you know, go out and do job interviews unless you're dressed well, because you want to make a good first impression. I went and I, I, I bought a suit and I bought some nice pants and stuff like that. They're at the tailor getting hemmed. And so when I get those back, then I'll go out and start going after my future. Then I'll go out and start getting after making my life better, <laughs> waiting for your pants. I think a lot of people, the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they're waiting for their freaking pants. Same thing in their own life. They think that things have to be lined up, that they have to be perfect, and they're never going to be perfect. And it's always going to be—it's there's always going to be one more piece of clothing to wait for from the tailor. Metaphorically, if you get my drift, you know the website isn't yet right. The the the, the I don't have the book written yet, or you know whatever it may be. Um, people putting off the just getting started, down and dirty stuff. That's the big things that move the needle. You got to know. I know you're probably familiar with the, the metaphor of will it make the boat go faster? You know, you've got to know what makes the boat go faster. Um, if you're not familiar with that, <laughs> let me know and I'll let you know what I mean by that. But it's just simply a mantra of if, if it doesn't matter to getting us to the goal, then I'm not going to do it. And waiting on pants doesn't matter. It's nothing but an excuse. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's I totally agree with that as well. So what does being a man of abundance mean to you in your life today? Hmm. Well, you know, I think a lot of that comes back to, in a way, where we started. Um, I think that our ultimate resource is resourcefulness. Um, I think that it is our job to own our abundance, not go looking to someone else to help us understand it or remind us of it. Now, maybe a guru, maybe a book, maybe a whatever. I'm a giant student, obviously. I think you can hear that. Yet, at a certain point, I have to accept responsibility for what's mine in life. And I think if you're a man of abundance living in, you know, 2019, 2020, as we sit here, that if, if, you know, you aren't looking outside yourself to be reminded of that, 
You own yourself. I think that's a critical, critical factor of being a man of abundance. You've got to know your strengths, know your weaknesses. And while you may try to shore up your, your weaknesses, own them. Own everything. Own the good. Own the bad. Own the light. Own the dark. Own the shadow self. All that stuff that you hear about, you know, own it. Uh, don't back down from it. Don't hide it. Uh, I think the world is looking for authenticity from men of leadership positions and women of leadership positions. But since we're talking about men of abundance, you know, the world is looking for real. The real world is looking for authenticity. The world is looking for a fear, fearlessness. And the fearlessness of knowing what I'm good at, what I'm bad at, you know, what I can help with, what I suck at, and just owning that, just flat ass out owning it to where you don't look, you don't blink looking away from that which you can't do because you're embarrassed you can't do it. You just, you own the good, you own the bad. Um, I think that's one of the most critical things any of us can do, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of a book, uh, Jocko Willink's book, Extreme yeah. Ownership. Yep, yep. <laughs> It, it, it's so much about mindset. It's just majority about mindset because there is no shortage of information out there, period. You can get information from so many sources for free, pay for it, whatever. But even people that pay for it, people that pay for courses and buy books and all this other stuff, they don't do anything with it because they just when they're getting ready to get started to your other point, uh, you know, waiting for your pants, another yeah. cool course comes out. Yeah. From the same yeah. guy, nonetheless, yeah. you know, yeah. Russell Brunson or, you know, Tony or whoever, you know, it yeah. doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And you're like, well, let me get through this one and then I'll be ready. Oh, yeah. my Lord. No, you just won't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the other thing that stumbles a lot of people is, you know, they're looking to be, they're looking to be a global force right out of the chute. Mm. When a lot of us have forgotten in this world that we live in today, the way we started. And that was, mm. you know, in the, in the, in the late 80s, when I was running around, you know, going to see, you know, U2 and, and, uh, and Dave Matthews and all these bands I loved at that point in my life. The one thing about them, and especially Dave, you know, it's, I, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and I was at Dave Matthews' first ever concert um, in a little club in Charlottesville, Virginia in the late 80s, may have been 1990 if I'm, I, I may be off on the date. Um, we forget that we still live in a world where you start locally, not globally. Mm-hmm. You start locally and you're so damn good locally. And whatever, I don't mean that just geographically locally. I mean at what's right in front of you, what's available to you, uh, around you easily today. Um, and, and, and if you do that well enough, then you're given the, 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 the gift of being able to take it global. People used to always, and I guess this is my point, used to always say to me, you know, I'm going to be the next Tony Robbins of this. I'm going to be the next, you know, whatever of that. And what they don't realize, because, you know, I saw him go through it was showing up for events where there were supposed to be 5,000 people there and there being 50 or 100 people there. Mm -hmm. And he still got up and did the event full tilt, full bore, the way that he would have done it for 5,000. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they're not, they don't realize the, 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 the years and years of frustration, of, of challenge, of success that someone like that goes through. And they want to they short circuit it and or they want to do what the person's doing now at their level of success when they're barely out of their mom's basement, yeah. you know, no, no offense meant, but you know, it just, it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's the, it seems to be the world of glitz and glamor and the look at me, narcissistic Instagram culture that we live in. But you know, guys, let's just dig in and let's take care of our own and let's start where we are the way men always have. And then, then if you if you handle that well enough, and you're a good enough steward of that, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, will probably give you a bit more to, to handle and just grow from there and keep doing your own, you know, doing your own thing and handling your own business locally. Right. And all that's true if as long as you are doing it for the right reasons. Sure. You know, you, for instance, paying it forward, paying it forward for the right reason without, you know, any expectation of getting something in return. Yeah, uh, it's just a huge part of that whole bit. And I know it's tough for some people. That's why I always say this, guys, this is a journey, man. It's not an, even having a, a, a mindset of abundance, getting yeah. away from the scarcity mindset. I've been doing this show for three years, and I had an abundance mindset long before that. But I still get caught up in a scarcity mindset from time to time in a big way. 
Yeah. And I got to yeah. get, that's why I love having at least one of these conversations every week because it brings me back to where I want to be, uh, you know, in my emotional state and my physical state. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. That's one of the reasons I guess I landed and helping people, you know, do that in their lives and, 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 and getting their message out there. People, you know, it used to be a joke among those of us that spoke for Tony that people would always say, well, you're always so positive and excited, blah, blah, blah. How do you do it? And we would always say it's because we go to so many damn seminars because mm-hmm. we're leading them. You know, we have the, we have the good advantage of, or the good opportunity, I should say, of having to live our life at that level because, uh, it's 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 just the nature of what we do week to week to month to month for our vocation. Yeah, space, space repetition on steroids. Yeah, it's a real <laughs> gift. It's a real gift. For sure. So, brother, we are definitely going to have your website, joewilliamsonline.com, uh, linked up in the show notes. Before I let you go, man, what did we? What else did we not talk about that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation today? You know, I mean, that's really uh, just it, man. The so my my book that came out last uh, spring called The Impact Awakening: How to Go from Having a Calling to Changing Lives is all about a lot of what we've touched on during this uh, during this this podcast. And people can just go to my website and they can get a uh, download a PDF copy of it there. Um, if something I've said has stirred up something inside of you, I would say that's step one. Um, and, uh, and, and, and decide what your life and your message and, and, and your gift to the world is going to be, if that speaks to you, um, and then, and then get after making it really, really, really an impact in the world. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. Guys, definitely go check that out. So brother, uh, it was an amazing conversation. I knew it would be go out and live your life of abundance and keep paying it forward. It's making a huge impact. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Listen, guys, every one of you has a message. You have a message. You're sharing it all the time. You're either telling it to yourself every day or you're telling it to family members or you're spewing it all over social media. Be productive with your message. Use your message as a platform, as a way to make change in the world and positive change. If your message isn't out to make positive change in others' lives, then quite frankly, I'll personally tell you to shut the hell up. That's just the way I feel about it. But I choose to believe, maybe naively so, that everyone listening to Men of Abundance is out to make a positive change in their own personal life and in the world. You've heard me say it before. When you have everything that you want in life, or at least the things that you want in life, and you're living the lifestyle that you personally want to live, that is success. If you want to be an abundant leader and live a life of abundance, you must pay it forward and share your message, share your skills, share your information, share your wisdom, sometimes even share your resources so that you can truly live a life of abundance and make a big change and make a difference in one person's life or in many people's lives. So I say figure out what your message is and share that with people who are willing to listen, who you feel will make an impact. Now, Go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.